0: Support for this podcast comes from CooperVision Specialty Eye Care. CooperVision Specialty Eye Care is dedicated to addressing the unmet needs of practitioners and patients worldwide whose ocular challenges compromise not only vision but quality of life. Their unmatched portfolio of specialty lens designs includes the following brands: Blanchard, GP Specialists, Number no. 7 Contact Lenses, Paragon, ProCornea, and Soflex. Learn more at coopervisionspecialtyeyecare.com.
1: The Global podcast is brought to you by Cooper Vision, especially eye care. The presenters are paid consultants.
2: Hello, this is Melissa Barnett, Principal Optometrist at UC Davis Eye Center. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Global Eyes podcast series. Today, we are incredibly pleased to have Dr. Lanji Mishan dean of the college of optometry university of montreal and an expert on specialty contact lenses and myopia control thank you so much for joining us lanji
3: thanks for the invitation it's a real pleasure to be with you and tom today
2: it's such a pleasure to have you too in today's podcast we're going to talk about the road less taken academic optometry now let's get started
3: yeah, academic optometry came uh, to me by accident. Uh, in fact, you know, I, I, I'm I, born from a family of teachers and educators, and all my life, I just said, you know, it's not for me. I will never do that, probably because I, I wanted just to explore other routes. And so, I started my private practice. I own uh, three offices. We 26, uh 26 staff, uh, six associates. It was kind of a in a busy practice. And from day one, I became frustrated by the fact that I didn't have all the tools in hand to serve my patients at the level I expected. So, uh, and particularly for specialty contact lenses, I was practicing in a rural area and most of the patients had to travel for more than one hour to consult ophthalmologists. There was almost no optometrist involved in specialty contact lenses at that moment. And we talk about, you know, end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s. So, and for me, it was frustrating for them to travel. So I, I became interested in, in contact lenses. I did a bit at the school. I did externship in contact lenses. I had Daniel Brazo as my mentor and Jacques Sevigny as my mentor. And Jacques uh, introduced me to the American Academy of Optometry and more specifically to Diplomate program. So he convinced me to uh, enter the Diplomate program. And uh, for a private practitioner speaking French, not really uh, academic at that time, the learning curve was kind of steep, but I really enjoyed every moment of it. So I became diplomate and because of that, the school recruited me as, you know, external clinician and lecturer. I went to the school at that time, probably one or two times per year, do workshops and all that stuff, uh, you know, and, and I began that way. So uh, I became interested and I met the faculty here and uh, Claude Giaçon, um, convinced me to um, complete a master in uh, physiological science, but in Contact lenses. In fact, it was a cornea specialist, and uh, so I did that, and uh, in 1998, uh, I uh, had my master in my pocket, and, and the school had an open position in 2000 in contact lenses, and uh, they just offered me the job, and I, I was still involved 40, 400 kilometers from here in, in a busy practice, so it, it was a life-changing decision. After 15 years in practice uh, and in a rural area where the growth of the practice is kind of limited at a given point because the population is a population and it will not double in a matter of 10 days or two years, in fact. Um, so I saw that as a challenge and I just decided to say yes to this open door. And, you know, sometimes in your life you have this option to say yes or no and you never know what will be you know, the future, but I said just yes, and I never regret that because so I became involved at the school part time for two years. And after that, full time, I began as an adjunct professor and then associate professor and then full professor. And now I'm the dean. So, I, you know, look at me, you know, it's, yeah, I, I, I was not able to predict that, you know, 35 years ago when I graduated. But, you know, life is life and it brings you where you are needed, I think. and And that's that's my life.
2: What a fantastic journey and I'm so proud and I'm sure Tom is too, that we've known you for so long. And I remember when you told us that you became Dean and I was cheering because it's so exciting and, what a wonderful position and what a wonderful journey to get there.
3: Certainly, and, and at this position, uh, there's a lot of administration for sure, but it gives me also the tools in, and to develop the school the way I envision it. Meaning that you know to bring the school at the next level and to our students are the most brilliant person on earth. You know, we are fortunate enough to have 900 applicants per year for 46 spots. So. We select them very carefully—big um, brains, obviously, and uh, high grades—but very motivated people. So, um, and optometry is so changing, so evolving on a day-to-day basis that you know we, we have to to work with them in order to develop you know the school, the science, the optometry, the profession at the highest level possible. And, and the future is for optometry I, and in our area we have a very limited number of ophthalmologists as well you know in, in Quebec province uh, we have 1600 optometrists for 350 400 at the maximum ophthalmologists so uh, the playground is for us and, and certainly it's an open field for research for clinical experience and for practice so um, you know it's a, it's a it's a very good challenge for me to to bring my clinician's purpose perspective not only the academician because I'm I'm proud of my private practice you know Padway, and I'm still involved in private practice. Uh, Saturdays every two weeks, just to keep my, you know, hands uh, in the real world and my uh, feet wet in uh, in on the ground. So um, I, I really feel what is needed over there, and I, I want just to conciliate education and practice. Um, academics must be more clinician, and clinicians must be more academics. So there's a good exchange between that. And lenses, my eye control certainly. Are the perfect, you know, uh, area where to develop both. You know, there's a lot of research uh, to do and to conduct in both fields. Cataralenses is still in its infancy. Um, even if we had, you know, tremendous, tremendous development over the last ten years because of you, Millicent, because of Tom, and because you know this Lens Education Society, and because you know all the other academicians and um, the practitioners in the field, and, and obviously the pioneers, uh, Dr. Paulo Mizekiel and Rose and Vissers and all those, uh, you know, big, big, big practitioners. And uh, we, we are fortunate to inherit to from their experience and their their practice. But we have to bring, again, this technology to the next level and to work with the industry, with the partners in there to develop new products and, and to develop a new understanding. Every time you, you, you do research, and this is what I learned after 20 years at the school, when you do research, you learn something. And if you let it go... You know, it's okay, but, you know, you have to translate that research knowledge into clinical practice. Um, What does that mean for my colleague, corner of the street, seeing patients on everyday basis? How can it change its practice? How can I improve the products based on the research we did here? So a better understanding, better knowledge brings better products and better care at the end.
2: A question about that specifically for your scleral lens research. What are you most excited about right now for scleral lens research that can lead to the clinic in the near future?
3: The uh, optics. Uh, the, the centered optics, the aberrations. We, we, um, you know, I'm, I'm focusing a lot on, you know, uh, high order aberrations actually, because of myopia control as well, because we know that, you know, aberrations is probably more important than myopic defocus to, to control myopia. So, uh, the more I dig in, in, in that kind of, of of knowledge about you know how aberrations are created generated how they influence the retinal response how they influence the brain response and how it influenced the, the vision in fact and, and i'm fortunate at the school because we have other researchers you know no one non-optometrists who are looking from the eye to the back of the brain what is going on and we have discussions i had this morning emails from uh, one of this researcher looking at you know the alignment of photoreceptors you know, in high myopic patients. And what he found, and he he, he just wanted to develop new projects on that. What he found is that because the retina is stretched, the photoreceptors become misaligned and there's a lack of response because they do not receive the full amount of light at the same time. And it's a little bit more complicated than that because some photoreceptors do that and some other photoreceptors don't do that. and, And when you think about that, it makes just pure sense. And this is why higher myopes evolve probably less compared to other because of the intensity of the signal is less present because these photoreceptors react less. So when when you put that piece of the, all of these pieces of the puzzle at the same spot and, and you try just to figure out what is the big picture, you know, it's really exciting and it drives me, you know, like crazy, you know, on an everyday basis because these other researchers, you know, um, nourish me and nourish my thoughts and I influence them as well because i put my clinical hat and say okay again you know what's in it for me as a clinician in that
0: support for this podcast comes from cooper vision specialty eye care cooper vision specialty eye care brings an impressive portfolio of life-changing specialty lenses to ecps across the globe empowering them to differentiate themselves while positively impacting the lives of their patients you'll find a comprehensive collection of advanced scleral Ortho-K, and RGP lens designs from the highly respected brands that now comprise CooperVision Specialty Eye Care. Products include OneFit, I.C., Paragon CRT, Dreamlight, Senso, and so many more. All of which are backed by the promise of continuous innovation, best-in-class service, and a refreshing perspective to solve unique and challenging vision issues with a customer-first perspective. Let Cooper Vision Specialty Eye Care leave you on a journey of changing patients' lives and improving practice profitability. Learn more at coopervisionspecialtyeyecare.com.
1: It's an incredible journey, uh, Lanji, and it resonates with me. Uh, I was minus 750 and minus 975. So you can imagine, you know, the impact of this research uh, you know, has on on my thinking, you know, and career as an optometrist. And 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 you know, we've known each other a long time, Lanji. And I have to acknowledge you as one of my main mentors. And when I first started fitting scarls, you know, about nine years ago, you taught me a lot. And I've I followed your writings and and I reach out to you and, and you're always so generous with your time. And I really I appreciate Langi.
3: Thank you. And and I have to acknowledge Dr. Ed Boschnik on that because, you know, I, I, I was in a meeting in uh, Miami at a given point, And Dr. Boschnik was invited as well, speaking to a lot of students. And uh, so we went back to the hotel, uh, you know, uh, uh, seat by seat in, in the bus. And I, I didn't know him at that time. And we just, you know, chit and chatted and said, you know, wh- what are you doing in your practice? Oh, I'm doing scleral lenses. Oh, Okay. And for me, it was kind of a, you know, old technology, not really useful. And, you know, I I have no no knowledge about, you know, modern sterile lenses. So he he began to talk to me about that. And he was obviously really excited about the possibility of sterile lenses. So again, you know, I came by accident. Two lenses and I I was really thrilled, and I I, I was introduced by Dr. Bushing to uh, Bob Breeze, and, and we discussed about possibility to introduce that technology at the school, and the rest is history. You know, it, it took a year or two just to figure out what was there and what's in it for us, and and we uh, we discussed with the other with, with my other colleagues, Dr. Abrazo for instance, and at a given point we, we just decided, okay, you know, we don't have the products we need for for our regular patients, so we partner with, with the industry. Industry here, uh, local industry, and and we try to develop new products, and we work kind of successful in that and so again you know research but you know with the clinical perspective and and it's this is this is and when i look at what i did in in those years uh, like everybody else i think we did silly things and we did you know something that we thought that was the right thing and we learned that it was a mistake at the end of the road (laughs) and so we improve and then it's still the same you know we learn from our experience and we try to do better and better day after day
1: Well, I want to change gears a bit, Balangie. Your career has primarily been in the academic sphere, at least since, you know, 2000. So, would you please describe for us what academic life is like for an optometrist? And what advice do you have for new graduates who may want to follow a similar path?
3: Oh, this is an exciting journey because, you know, every morning I'm waking up, you know, I'm really excited to Come to the school because I have something to do, something useful, I think. And and again, you know, uh, I see patients, uh, I'm teaching in the clinic here, you know, I see the students, I see the the excitement of the students, I see the other researchers. So, academy um, and the schools bring me um, all the possibilities to explore everything I want. Uh, In clinical practice, it may be possible, but you have limited resources, right? Uh, we are fortunate enough and if you are doing your job quite well as an academic uh, you will be funded by government agencies or by you know the industry or by manufacturers or by sponsors or by just philanthropy you know someone will put money in there to favor your research and your project so so resources especially in contact lens field and myopia control is not a real problem. And when you have the resources, then you can have any ideas you want, and you can apply any ideas you want. And you have the manpower because you have students and you have master's uh, degree students and you have PhD students coming to you and w- trying to work in your lab and working hard to get their degrees. So and it's it's stimulating really. So it, it's really interesting. And uh, we we all you know, we were all in uh, on the podium at a given time and. I don't know for you but for me it's kind of a drug. When when you see a crowd in front of you and, and you just deliver your 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 course or content your material and you see the reaction and you can feel what the audience think about that, and what the audience react to what you say, and when you you have this communication with with the people uh, in the audience, it's really really exciting. It is just like you know uh, flies in the stomach, and or you know it's it's, it's 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 something that is not really describable. But you have that on an everyday basis at the school because you're in front of an audience, which is which are the students, uh, and it's very exciting because you know it it you know you share your experience, you share your knowledge, and that's another. But you know you, you did that as well. You know you mentored uh, new optometrists in your field, and you you welcome new optometrists in your area, and you help them to start their career. And we all want to do that as, as optometrists. But in in school, you know we do that on an everyday basis. Again, so we have best of both worlds. We have the knowledge, we have the resources, we have the liberty to think about projects and to develop them, and again to bring something useful in the field. And at the end, you see still patients. You know, that's very important for me. I, I wouldn't be very happy if I would be just in my lab. I wouldn't be very happy if I, if I would be just in the classroom. I wouldn't be very happy if I, if I would be just with patients. But, you know, combine, you know, my journey is fruitful and certainly really exciting on a day to day basis.
2: Wow. It sounds like just a perfect fit and so important and diverse and stimulating. How wonderful. So switching gears a little bit, you've had such an impressive career. What would you like to be known for?
3: As someone who take a good care of his patients, I think that's the first and most important thing for me. Second thing, um, a passion optometrist, sometimes crazy, but a passion optometrist who, who was kind of useful in the field at a given point for any reason, just to bring a little piece, a little rock on this big wall that we, everybody, you know, as optometrists uh, is building. Uh, and just to bring my little piece of science and knowledge to that, to that particular area. Um, I'm kind of Proud of what we did in the last, you know, ten, fifteen years as a team here in Montreal, as for several research and to bring um, uh, something from infancy to something a little bit more mature. I think that we contribute to that, and I'm very, very happy to what what is happening with other research center in the field and where this direction is going forward. Um, myopia control the same. We we are working hard actually in myopia control. We will. We are thrilled to 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 start very, very soon a uh, longitudinal study on the prototype of, of contact lens that we developed in uh, in partner with the industry again. So we'll see what happens. But again, it will be, a, I think, a game changer. And and again, the, to take all the pieces of puzzle and to bring that in a big picture makes make just sense for me. So if 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 I can be recognized just to have contributed a little bit to those fields, I would be very happy.
1: You've contributed a lot more than a little bit, Longji.
3: But my 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 team my team was there to back me up. So it's it's not 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 just me.
2: So in true globalized fashion, if there was anywhere in the world you could travel today, where would you go?
3: Oh my god! I, I miss so much to travel since two thousand twenty. You know? <laughs> I'm I'm really looking for the for the next trip. I, I I may go. Okay, let let's see. Um, somewhere in Europe for sure. Uh, it would be probably. Scandinavian countries. Uh, I, I never went there that often. And uh, it's, you know, it, one of my most memorable trip was in South Africa. Uh, and I, I expect the same for the uh, Sweden, Norway and Finland, you know, countries, you know, it, I would, I would be thrilled to, to, to go there and to discover the, this culture in these countries.
2: Well, I think we have a trip uh, together planned to Oslo, so your dream might come true.
3: Good. That's, that, that would be a pleasure.
1: Lungy, well, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, as always. And thank you so much for being here. And thanks to our listeners for joining today's podcast. We hope you'll tune back in for future episodes of the Globalize with Melissa Barnett and Tom Arnold podcast series.